Welcome again to Myth Magic Medicine. This season three, immigrant physicians. Thank you. Two doctors who are both immigrants talking about their experience. Hi, Heba, so kind of you to come back. Heba was in season two as well, talking about her professional life, but she is also from Egypt. So please say hello to the world and explain what brought you here from such a lovely country. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. Well, um, happy to be back. Um, And yeah, hello world. This is Hiba. (laughs) (laughs) I'm originally from Egypt. I um, was born and lived there part of my life, also went to medical school there, and then decided um, what the ceiling was too low. And I Mm. needed to, to, yeah, spread my wings a bit more. And I was actually looking Um, back then at going to the UK versus coming here to the US. Um, But a lot of things worked out in in favor of me coming here. So here I am. Let's let's start a little bit earlier than this. You were born, obviously. Which which town or city do you come from in Egypt? I I was born in the capital in Cairo, Egypt. So the big Mm -hmm. city with like 20, 30 million people. So I'm used to, yeah, feeling like uh, it's okay to be in everyone's space. But yeah, so I was born there, but um, we left when I was less than a year old. We went to Paris, France, lived there Mm. for a couple of years. Um, my father was getting his master's degree in business and then, um, he had another, so those were government scholarships at the time. So he had another scholarship for a PhD and then we left to, um, go to Glasgow, Scotland. So we lived there for about. Oh, which uni? One of my sons went to uni there. I think University of Glasgow, isn't it? Yeah. I think, I think it was the University of Glasgow. Right. And so. Yeah, so um, I have very fond memories of growing up there. And then um, after that, I think we went back to Egypt for a year or two. It was really hard to live there, I think, for my parents. My brother and I were kids, but yeah. So then we went to the UAE before it got, you know, so so pretty and famous. And and mm. um, yeah, so we we left there. We lived there for five years I think it was in a small college town Mm -hmm. Um, but it was it was great because that's where um, my brother and I went to an international school so we had this exposure to all those you know kids from different countries which was amazing that is so there were diplomats kids yeah or you know they're visiting faculty like my my father or something like that so Mm -hmm. yeah it was a small college town yeah so they still had to be based somewhere. Was it international out of the British system or the American system? or It was the British system, but it was a school that grew out of Lebanon of, of all countries. But yeah, it was, it followed, it followed, I think, now, now that I'm thinking about it, actually the American system. <laughs> Scratch that. <laughs> now that I'm thinking of the books, my algebra books and whatnot, they were all like American. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So your English was pretty good because I assume the school was was teaching you in English at that time. Yeah, and I I wonder if I I think I have a good ear for for accents because mm-hmm. I had a British accent for a long time, and then as soon as I came to the U.S., I just like started got rid of it. This, yeah, mine kind of went away too. You can hear it sometimes, but I get upset. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> do you, 
But now when you were in France, did you pick up French as well? Did you have the Yeah, I was little, but I, I can, like, if I... So it was taught as a third language also in, in the other schools I went to. But it, like, if I read or if I want to speak in French, I have a very good accent. So that's where I think also, like, my ear yeah. plays. I mean, that's not, what this, that's not what this is about. But one of the great things is if you can get those phonemes into children when they're very little, they will have so much easier time learning a language. Oh, true. Yeah. 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 Do you still mix up your P's and B's? No. <laughs> no <that's it. laughs> yeah, that's yeah. true. I, I didn't stop to think about that, but yeah. Yeah. So you were in school through until high school? You were uh, middle school in the UAE, and then we went back to Egypt. Yeah, right towards the end of middle school. And then from there, the system is you go from high school right into your middle college school. of choice right. and, and grad school. So from there, I went into med school there in Egypt. Did you realize that you wanted medicine early on? I'm not sure. My brother went into medicine before me and I was mm -hmm. thinking about, and it's, it's a, I don't know if this is necessarily British, like a, a lot of things are follow the British system in Egypt, but you know, you're scored at a national level with your grades. Mm -hmm. And so you get to choose based on your rank, um, what schools, what your top choices are. Um, and so um, I was thinking, I remember that moment, I was thinking, oh, nursing school would be nice, or, you know, agriculture, or, <laughs> and I remember, <laughs> you know, you have this sheet of paper, you put in your choices, check the boxes. And my mother just kept talking me out of each and every one. <laughs> and it was like, oh, yeah, okay, I understand. So it, it became by default, mostly that I went into medical school. But oh, yeah, yeah. Because everything else was it wasn't a good choice. That's how she okay. made it sound. <laughs> right. So you, you tried really hard not to be a doctor, but they made you. Okay. <laughs> but, yeah, put nicely. <laughs> yeah. So where did you end up going? Which school? Um, I went to Cairo University. It's the faculty of medicine there. And it's a mm -hmm. six-year medical school system because you don't have the pre-med. Yeah. So, yeah. Did you, you didn't have to do A-levels. Um, I'm not the, sure. Br the British system, the British system is O-levels and A-levels oh. to matriculate for university. Did you have high school exams? Yeah, we did exams? actually have to do the A-levels. Isn't that the higher level that you yeah. go yeah, so we, because we, I went to in, to a private school, we did the GCSE, that's what it was yeah, called that's at it. the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we had to do, there were certain requirements to make it equivalent to the Egyptian system. So you mm -hmm. had to do certain subjects in A-level, and then other things could have been O-level, it didn't matter, right? Mm -hmm. so the majority had to be in A-level, yes. I remember now. Wow. Oh, yeah. Way back. That was way <laughs> back in somewhere in my head where I forgot where yeah. it was. <laughs> Chemistry, zoology, physics. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. So so how did you feel the first day that you walked into medical school? Was it uh, how many, how big a class was it? Oh, gosh. It was like 1,500 in my class. Yes. And How the, many meds? What's what's the med school to population ratio? Oh, you can have some pretty big classes either. here too. 
Yeah. So that, that is one of the biggest universities. Like yeah. it's, it's the top medical school. And then the second one is. Well, as you pointed out, you go 30 million people in the city. So. Yeah. Yeah. But you, there are people who are on scholarships. There are people who are coming also from other countries. A lot of Malaysian students and Yemeni mm -hmm. students came, but yeah, I, I, I can't, I don't know the ratio at all, but that was, you were sort of assigned also based on where you lived. So I lived in mm -hmm. Giza, the Giza part of Cairo. So that would be by default the the Cairo University, even though it's mm -hmm. Cairo University, it's in Giza. And then the other one, Main um, Shams was the other second big one. And then there's a bunch of other ones, but not not any private medical schools. So the the system is flipped. So the and I know a lot of other countries are that way. So that going to a public medical school or even any public university is considered more prestigious than going, buying your way into a private university. Does mm -hmm. that make sense? So, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, buying your way in sounds a little pejorative. But yeah, <laughs> but yeah so and, and I, I point out, most of you can pay, you can buy your way in. Getting out with a degree is a lot harder. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. That is so true. Um, but yeah, it's sort of considered the back door in at least in Egypt um, mm -hmm. to go to a private university just to get a get a degree because you're paying for it basically. <laughs> but yeah, those are public universities, and then everything is subsidized, which is nice, but at the expense mm -hmm. of huge numbers, right? Mm -hmm. So then you end up having to take all these private lessons in small groups. So that you end up with a class of 20, you know, and an right. instructor. It's basically you making up for that, that system. That's, that's, mm -hmm. yeah, that's too big. Were, what was, what was the anatomy based on, that sounds so silly to, if you're not a doctor, to what do you mean? There's anatomy is the same everywhere, but they use different naming systems. Um, when I went to school, I went to school in Spanish, not in Spain, but in Spanish, and they used a French system, which is oh. different from Gray, Gray's Anatomy. Which did which system did does Egypt use? Because you've got a pretty heavy French tradition there too. too. Yeah. yeah, we don't. You know, that's a good question. I think I don't know. First two years were anatomy, very very hands on. Actually, like they had you know, um, those formalin immersed bodies mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. no one claimed, right, or were past criminals or whatever, and you were supposed to dissect yourself mm -hmm. with your own hands, and the stench was just horrible. Um, but yeah, that's how that, yeah, that's how we did anatomy. I'm not sure if I, you I remember the it books. was all like a British <laughs> system, really, but yeah, I assumed at least. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So. What was your favorite subject when you were preclinical? What was your favorite subject? And then once you got to clinicals, what was it? Oh, good question. I think interestingly, it was um, it was actually microbiology, which is interesting mm. because now I came back full circle and your microbiome. microbiome. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. The mm -hmm. one I struggled with the most was always biochemistry. Mm. I couldn't understand these equations. They they seemed like a given to everyone else, but I'm like, I don't know what affects what and how that goes in that direction. <laughs> Why I get the <laughs> enzyme piece and the slowing down and the, 
you know, cat catalyst effect, but I don't like I don't want to calculate it. I just want to memorize <laughs> I can't. it. It's hard. But yeah. Yeah. So. so and what was your favorite once you got into clinical work? When when do you switch is like between th third and fourth year? Yeah. So third year is starts to prep you. There's a lot of public health um stuff, mm -hmm. which was really fun because you know, we live in the city, we're kind of also still in a silo, but they take you out mm -hmm. on these field trips to the small right. villages. You understand like, oh, how they use the canal water or they have their mm -hmm. sewage system is in a tank, you know, all these things were like, right. oh, really? People live like that? Well, exactly. That's a lot of, a lot of places in the world The the students have a different world that they're living in than yeah. many of the people in, in the towns. Yeah, it's terribly important as a physician to understand really understand not just on paper but really understand where your patients are coming from absolutely oh. yeah so it was it was really eye-opening and it, it was fun I enjoyed that um mm -hmm. but yeah so that was sort of the transition there in in the third year and then fourth is where you start your clinical rotation so fourth mm -hmm. fifth, and sixth um the sixth year are very are all clinical heavy um mm -hmm. so let's see of the ones that I enjoyed well, I enjoyed pediatrics. I knew that. I well, love that's it. good I considering love. what you wound up doing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, that worked out. Um, and then I think ophthalmology was another interesting. Oh, really? Thing. That's usually an, uh, an elective here, I think. Yeah. Is it a requirement? Yeah. It was an elective. No, I think it was an elective, um, like just like dermatology and the, all those sub mm -hmm. specialties, but. Yeah, I think I chose it um, as one of my electives. You're right. Mm -hmm. Do yeah. you do an internship as part of the graduating requirement? Yeah, so yeah. it's in total seven years, really. Yeah. Before you can start a residency. Yeah, basically. One right, year. but here you are done and you are officially a doctor and then you go find yourself. a. Most yeah. people just do a straight internship these days, but a few specialties need a transition. Yeah. Um, but you so, can't get, sorry, your license until you're Right, you can't get your license until you've done it. Yeah, right. yeah. Um, do you, so, so you did your six years, you had a nice little ceremony to say you'd finish all that sort of work, but then you had to really go and actually feel like a doctor in when sometimes it was your choice what you were going to do rather than be told. Yeah. Um, where did you serve that? Was that also in, in Cairo? Yeah, so um, my first pediatric residency, pediatric mm -hmm. residency number one, yeah, that was at Cairo University. And then they don't have fellowships, like formal fellowships, so you just join a subspecialty. So mm -hmm. at first I went to ICU, pediatric ICU, um, sort of informal training, but that quickly mm -hmm. realized it wasn't the life um, quality of life I was looking for and then by default went into pediatric endocrinology I think we talked about that yeah we did a little bit but place. not everybody would have listened to season two so um and and when did you decide you were going to come to the states or or somewhere and how did you make that decision how did you make the decision of one English-speaking country over another who speaks a different English country <laughs> that's true so um I knew I I kind of have the urge to, to leave and felt like I I can, if just given the opportunities, I can do more. And I was really mm -hmm. interested in research. 
all along. And part of the training, like to get your master's degree or PhD, you still have to, um, and even your your final MD, not like the MD when you graduate right. here, but MD. Yeah, and that um, a lot of people don't realize that an MD is a secondary designation because yeah, higher medicine degree. is a bachelor's degree because you go straight from high school it's a yeah. six-year bachelor's degree yeah That's... it's mbbch it's a uh, yeah. yeah um so yeah so um that um so i knew i i was I, I was enjoying doing that research and then i know a lot of my mentors at Cairo university they were all very strong women i know i i say that and people are surprised really so you have women doctors that are senior there i'm like yes so they're very strong women and they knew <laughs> i was interested in research and so they started looking for more like opportunities for um like scholarships or training grants mm -hmm. for um like third third world countries like us and there was mm -hmm. something through the European Society of Pediatric Endocrinology um, at the time, but they were also, um, they would sponsor you in any country in the world, so long as you had a sponsor slash mentor who was willing mm -hmm. to take you in their lab. So that's how I ended up here because, yeah, I, I was reaching out to- Oh, so you, you came in originally as a researcher. Yeah, I came in as a researcher. I actually did not get that grant funded, but the- the person who sponsored me was, he really, you know, thought there was hope in me, I guess. <laughs> and he said, well, encouraging. I you communicate and, you know, you're really on this. And, you know, he, he saw me write up a grant too and gave me feedback. So um, he was like, oh, you know what? I have a grant. We can bring you over. You can come work in my lab. So yeah. So oh, I did great. a postdoc. And, and where was that? that? Where was that? I was in Seattle, Washington, at the University of Washington. Yeah. It's oh, quite different scenery and weather. <laughs> oh, I know, but it's so beautiful. It just even the yeah, it grows on you. It's just mm -hmm. an amazing area. Yeah. And how long were you in Washington? So for that postdoc, it was like a year and a half. Mm -hmm. And um, mind you, I wasn't thinking, you know. I was thinking initially, okay, I'll learn some research techniques and then go back and see if I can apply that in Egypt. But mm -hmm. then I started feeling two things. One was the itch to see patients, you know, even mm -hmm. in attending grand rounds or whatnot. I'm like, I, I want to, I'm frustrating. It is. Mm -hmm. It's very hard. And the second part was like, you know, actually I do like it here and I like the system and I mm -hmm. want to be a part of this system. So, so maybe, you know, I'll go back um, take, uh, you know, you have a faculty position there. Um, you have to go back to after you get your MD, PhD, mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it. Um, so I had to go back for that, but at the same time, I was like, maybe I'll just take my USMLEs, you mm -hmm. know, and see if I pass, this was really naive. I, I don't know if I told you that, but like, um, if I pass, then that's my sign. I'll schedule them okay. all back to back. <laughs> It's my oh sign. really? Did yeah. you wait for the results before you got the next one? You just went through no, the whole. No, as long, long as Ooh. you can schedule all of them. So I think the clinical one and step three, you have to wait for the results. So right. I scheduled, yeah, I scheduled them back to back, and I was like, and I went, I was full time back at work there, and I was like, it's okay, it's just, it's going to be a sign for me. And so mm -hmm. this, sign, <laughs> I guess 
came true and I came back. So yeah, so I came back. Oh, so you went home, you finished the, the postdoc and you went back to Egypt. I went back so, to Egypt, went back to so, practice. But, so, right. So that you took all of your exams there, except for CS, of course, which is no longer being given post-COVID. Um, you oh, physically really? had to be here and you only have six places that you can go to take that exam. So it's it's hard. Yeah. Did you did you come over to take CS here? Yeah, I came over to take CS, then went back. So that was a very short trip. And mm -hmm. then when I came back to interview, so you don't need to get take step three to go into residency. Right. But I took that while I was interviewing because obviously, you know, I'm paying for all of this internationally yeah. <laughs> and travel. And I was like, this is so expensive. Let me just take it while I'm there. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Did you fly back to Egypt to find out if you had a place or did you wait around here to find out? Oh, no, I, I, I had to go back. Yeah. Okay. Back. When you were back, did, did were you working? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. As in research or were you seeing patients? No, faculty. So teaching mostly and, and, um, and seeing patients. So that, so I, so Cairo University hospitals are like quaternary centers. So they serve mm -hmm. other countries as well. So. It's a huge patient volume. So they really want us to focus mostly on, on seeing patients and teaching. Um, and then clinical research, you know, any sort of observational or collection of data or, or chart review sort of research is also important and it's part of the promotion process. But, you know, you have very, very limited resources. You got to find your own have. time for it. <laughs> yeah, you don't have your own lab, exactly. So I did a few surveys here and there and, you know, did a case report or whatever, but it wasn't really okay. that impactful. Yeah. And then, and then you entered the match for here. Yeah, actually I, I went outside the match at the time. Not always an option, but sometimes it is. Yeah, because I was not, I knew I wanted to do pediatric endocrinology and I knew there were several places interested in me and and I I knew I had a little bit of a, a, a an advantage to negotiate um, mm -hmm. because of that and so I negotiated a two-year residency instead of a three-year residency so long as the American Board of Pediatrics allowed it which right. they did to give me credit for my prior training Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's, that's what I went outside the match, went to this small town, um, Chattanooga, Tennessee. Mm -hmm. It's not so small. Oh, I like, either, I like Chattanooga. Yeah. Nice, nice railroad carriage hotel. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, yeah. No, it's, it's cute. It's not so small, really. I shouldn't say that, but you know, not, not a big, big city or, um, capital, but yeah. So, um, went there for residency, sucked it up for two years because I was like, oh man, I just, <laughs> this is hard to do. And <laughs> no, I've practiced independently before and peds is not my thing. <laughs> you know, I want pathology. I don't want well child, you know, checkups yeah. in clinics. Well, it's, it's nice to have a little bit of that. It's I, nice to see children too. be healthy too. It's true. <laughs> no, no, no. Don't yeah. get me wrong. Totally great it's important work no don't just our, very our friends in general piece. i'm looking for something to fix you know yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just my personality you know i'm a fixer that way i guess but yeah no i mean i love my patients it was sad to leave it's always sad to leave you know mm -hmm. your patients behind so where did you do your fellowship 
So that was back in Seattle. So I went back to okay. Seattle Children's University of Washington. That one, because it, I didn't get formal training in Egypt. So it wasn't a formal fellowship. Mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. didn't get a waiver. So I did all three years, which I'm glad I did. It was, it was really yeah. helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And then the, what was the next move for you after that? All right. So I still knew I wanted to do research, but I was not a permanent resident or mm -hmm. um, citizen, obviously. So I didn't qualify for institutional K awards mm -hmm. and um, couldn't stay in Seattle. And so. Oh, sorry. I, what, what, uh, what visa? Do you had a J1 or an H2? I had an H1B actually, which mm -hmm. was, yeah, it's a good visa. Right. But. Um, you know, your chances are a lot lower to try and apply yourself as an individual for funding, mm -hmm. get, you know, um, institutional support. So my best option was to take a clinical job, um, which was, yeah, my first job in Pittsburgh. So oh, another, another common thing. Yeah, yeah. I lived, I lived, I didn't live in Pittsburgh. I lived in Latrobe. My first job coming out of New York was in Latrobe. Oh yeah, cool. Yeah, that that was close. Got a lot of patients from there. So yeah, so um, yeah, that was my first job for four years. I was clinical director there, and so it was clinical administrative. Mm -hmm. But I still had the urge to do <laughs> research, so I did research on the side. And what was mm -hmm. nice is I was part of this um, like consortium where you can do data analysis and you know, do epidemiology kind of work. So I didn't have mm -hmm. to recruit for a study or something. So that was nice. So then I built my resume that way. And then once I became permanent resident and then citizen, I, this research position came up here at IU. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, I, I moved over here. So yeah. long, long road. Yeah. <laughs> at, at what point did you acquire your children? <laughs> <laughs> which must have impacted your your workflow considerably because they do oh, it has oh my goodness um yeah so you know someone once told me that was actually a physician in Egypt she said you know our life as physicians is mostly medical and everything else is paramedical <laughs> that includes <laughs> our kids or you know family you know our health it's paramedical so yeah mm -hmm. so I see them as like peripheral but they're not really um, but yeah, so I guess I had my, um, my son in, while well, I was ending my fellowship in Seattle and then mm -hmm. had my daughter while I was in Pittsburgh. So yeah, they're three years apart. So okay. yeah. Very good. Very good. What do you miss most about Egypt? If, if you could design a healthcare system that would allow you to live in Egypt, where you could practice medicine the way you want to practice do you think you'd be tempted to go back yeah I think most definitely so I I miss I miss the um I think I miss the simplicity of the people mm -hmm. especially if we're talking patients you know again most of my training and work was with people from from villages somewhere out in the desert, you know, very simple, very, mm -hmm. you know, and I didn't mind at all breaking it down for them. And they, they didn't necessarily want to be informed like here, like here, you want to really make sure your patient, you know, makes that educated decision with you. 
over there. Sometimes that's a burden for the patients. Yeah. There's an awful lot of knowledge that goes into really being informed about a decision. Exactly. So they they just trusted you and they um, believed that you could make the right decision for them, which was a burden on me then. But then I, 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 I think it created more of a bond because you're very, there's some higher level of responsibility now mm-hmm. that they, they just trust you so much. Right. And so you, you're really watching everything and making sure they're okay. And, you know, you're almost dragging out of them any side effects, you know, they're just like grateful for anything and everything. It's like, <laughs> Thank God. Everything is good. Thank you, God. Thank you. I'm like, I, I understand. Yeah. Thank you, God, for everything. What could be better if you told God? <laughs> so yeah, I miss that. Do you think there's much difference in the attitude of patients here? It depends. So, you know, where I am right now and where I've been before, and especially in Seattle, there's a lot of higher, you know, we get those engineers who came you know, with their kids and had their own algorithm already mm-hmm. <laughs> set up. Mm-hmm. I'm like, why do you need me? You don't need me. <laughs> you got this figured out. But yeah, no, it depends. So maybe, maybe more in Pittsburgh, we had people from, you know, West Virginia and Western Pennsylvania. So smaller towns, very simple people. They really reminded me of, you know, the, the patients mm-hmm. that, you know, just trusted in you, had a, had a lot of tr- had a lot of respect for you as a physician and you know just went with whatever you recommended and they enjoyed that you actually asked about them and how they're feeling mm-hmm. and you know they're not they're not you, to get out do you so. feel you have the same amount of time to spend well that's the biggest complaint I hear people so they don't that, that it's it, insurance quotients making us all crazy yeah you get three minutes harder and harder I mean it is getting very hard and if I'm expected to chart and then put in prescriptions and then reach out you know to coordinate for a prior auth or whatever all that let's let's go with what must be a very routine when the first time you tell somebody their two-year-old is diabetic how long do you need to have a conversation with that person? How long do you need and how long do you get? Oh, yeah. So that's a hard one. So I'm, it, I was just you, pissing, picking the easiest endocrine subject yeah. matter, not, not necessarily the easiest subject to, to discuss, but absolutely. I, I, absolutely. Most people realize yeah. that's endocrine. I think for, for people with diabetes, I think it's more we do have the advantage of when they're, the kids are first diagnosed, usually they come into the hospital and they're admitted. Mm-hmm. So we have some flexibility with time, but sometimes, you know, service is busy and we have to, to run mm-hmm. to see the next patient. But yeah, it, it probably takes a good, you know, 30 minutes to really go through things without rushing them to process everything. But you have to be careful because you don't want to overwhelm them, right? There's a lot to diabetes. And here's this book. Go memorize it. Come back. Any questions? Do do you feel you have good additional care available? There's social workers. There are people that specialize in. So they've got that. Did you have that available in Egypt? No, no. So that definitely is an advantage to have here, right? You have... Mm -hmm. um, 
a psychologist who could help, you know, not necessarily available all the time, but social work is definitely mm-hmm. part of um, our team. We have a diabetes educator, we have a dietitian, right? So all those people, it's a team really having, having those people. We had maybe one um, dietitian who served also as a diabetes educator where I worked in Egypt. And, mm-hmm. and, and we did a lot of the diabetes education ourselves and mm-hmm. actually in a very simplistic manner. Like we use the points. I don't know if you're like, instead of 15 grams of carbs, it's one point. It's almost like a oh, weight, no, watcher. weight watchers. <laughs> yeah. Because people do. So pita bread is like 15 or so pita bread, like half is 15 grams. So that's, you know, one point, a whole, mm-hmm. whole pita bread is two points. That's how, you know, you had to make it simple for them. But yeah, so we we didn't have that. So they teach them in groups, right? So they mm-hmm. 15 people in the room all learning together. But it actually worked out well because again, those are people who aren't necessarily asking a lot of questions. It's more of a didactic kind of nature and then giving them sort of examples. Why don't you tell me how much insulin you... So it's like, it's very... And, and you've got to, you know, you get the first bout of information you've got to go home and digest it and then come back with the questions that come from it it's a it's a fairly protracted journey yeah I think of course the biggest the biggest hit has to be your child has this and it's not going away oh yeah it's yeah, no, that's definitely yeah. right and they need insulin for life right yeah so whether that's here or there you know, it's, it's the same impact and in certain cultures, not all, you know, there's stigma associated with that diagnosis, Mm -hmm. right? So it's, it's really hard to help them navigate that process and trying to hide that from family or just like, Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 All right. Let's, let's talk social. Let's, let's done with medicine for now. All right. What do you miss socially from Egypt? Oh, I miss, I miss a lot of my friends, people I went to medical school with. Um, Did many of them wind up over here or, or England? Not that many. There, there's friends of friends that wound up over here, but it's so huge a country that it's hard for us. Mm. Like we know, you know, we see each other on Facebook and what we're up to, but that's Mm -hmm. it. But yeah, so um, yeah, so so a lot of them are still back there and they're doing well. I visited a couple of years ago and they 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 seemed happy and doing well and you know, so yeah, I miss I miss that. I miss I miss the um you know, one advantage to the west in general is the practical nature of things, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, you're struggling with something, okay, you take a few days off, whatever family leave, whatever it is. And you're expected to move on after that and, you know, Mm -hmm. keep everything going. Right. And it's, it's a really practical, good way of doing things, but on the flip side, you miss the compassion, right. Mm -hmm. That you, you had your three days to mourn. Now get back to work. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there's yeah. there's certain levels of, oh, I want to feel this with you. You know, mm-hmm. there's almost this, um, it, and it's extreme too in the Middle East. There's this, they love, you know, being sad. And <laughs> you know, like the, there's, I just read this recently. There's almost an addiction to certain emotions in people and they have mm-hmm. that addiction to 
oh, let's mourn, you know, this person for, and there's- It was the, the volume and the amount of distress they were comfortable showing. Yeah, let's be practical. So, so there's advantages to both. It just mm-hmm. depends on the moment and what you need, right? And so, yeah, so I, I miss that compassion. And I remember when I was, um, we had visiting students um, from different parts of the world to when I was still in, in, in high school um, in Egypt. And one of the girls made this remark of like, Egyptians are really funny. When one person cries, you all sit around that person and start crying, even though it didn't affect you. Right. (laughs) I think that is is to, um, when somebody dies, certain cultures, you think everybody has has to make a great to-do about it. Again, very British. Yeah, I'm sad. My mother died. And and the other people don't realize that, yeah, it's hurting. I'm just not going to go on about it. And and it doesn't mean that you're hurting more or less than the other person. And it's very different. One of the really nice things about you traveled a lot before you became a doctor. I think travel, you don't have to become an immigrant, but it's the more you can learn about people all over the world, the more you can care for can show concern for your client. We're, your we're all the same, right? And it's we're yeah, all the same but different in the way we yeah, express the same we thing. We're it. all sad, but we all tell you about it differently. And how we do it too, right? So mm-hmm. I always say like the British, you know, drive on the other side of the road and Americans say they drive on the wrong side of the road where <laughs> everyone gets to their destination in the end. There's no problem, you know? <laughs> Both well, sides. if you're on the same road it might be difficult. <laughs> <laughs> oh no now we, we don't want to try that but my point is you know it's yeah it's different ways of doing the same thing or feeling the the same thing but yeah that's that's something that I yeah I would say I miss that right so are you you're bringing your kids up in America so they're obviously going to be very American in many mm-hmm. ways my kids mm-hmm. are very American but they will sometimes remember bits of their other heritages so what how how do your kids respond to the world they have they they suddenly say it sound quite egyptian to you (laughs) no i wish yeah they're still learning a few words of arabic and it took me a while to finally introduce that to them and introduce introduce my faith right we had an interfaith marriage their their dad and i so i was like okay well maybe maybe it's safe to do that now (laughs) So they're still learning, but um, I'm excited that they are, um, they're excited about learning, right? Mm -hmm. And they, my daughter just yesterday, all of a sudden out of the blue, she's like, I'm so happy. I'm half Egyptian because I have so much gold. Egyptians have so much gold. (laughs) Did you realize how much you had? (laughs) Like, that's a nice way to look at it. Like, yeah, Egyptians from a long, long time ago had much more gold. I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. I never thought of that. <laughs> so, have, have they both been back to Egypt? No, no. But it's I just want to take them yeah. Yeah, next year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you mentioned you're from Giza. Isn't that where most of the pyramids are? Yeah. And the then we're right. <laughs> talk about it. We can't talk about Egypt and not talk about pyramids. Come on, talk about the pyramids. Educate on, us. We, we were in our <laughs> former colony. You should know something about that. <laughs> That's why I know they're in Giza. <laughs> oh, you're better than so many, trust me. <laughs> it's 
so how 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 much a part of your identity as an Egyptian is colored by that old history? That is a hard one. So Egyptians generally feel um, there's this certain sense, and I, and this is just my observation. Not, not, I'm not a soci- sociologist, obviously, but um, there are a lot. Italians are the same way, and so are Greeks. We mm-hmm. have all these monuments, all this great history in front of us, and we're proud of it. But at the same time, we're ashamed because we we have this sense of like um, insecurity in the sense, or see, insecurity isn't the right word, but the sense of like. Oh, we couldn't keep it up, you know? We couldn't be the greatest civilization till this day. Look at us, we're a third world country. You know, and this is the see, this is true of all history, right? So so yeah, so that's something that I think I we we know that inherently in ourselves. And it's sort of I see it in in Egyptians who have immigrated and how, you know, mm-hmm. they they carry themselves with a sense of pride, but it, there's there's a certain degree of, oh man, we're so behind, <laughs> you know, what a shame, <laughs> you know, our ancestors would be so embarrassed, you know, kind of thing. So, yeah. You miss the food? Oh, I miss the food for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, so good. Do you, do you have, uh, I, you're in Indianapolis, right? Yeah, yeah. So Indianapolis, I have a fairly, uh, good restaurant uh, there's maybe there. one there's maybe one restaurant um where I like their food see we say Middle Eastern food is hard to commercialize and franchise so if you have falafel and some of these you know very kind of fast foody places it never tastes right the yeah. and the texture is wrong and everything so the best Middle Eastern food is to really eat um to to try is in someone's home but yeah there's one place that I've I've liked um but not not a big influence but can you can you buy the right ingredients and so you yeah can there's, there's, okay yeah every place I've lived in the U.S. there's always the one or two Middle Eastern stores that sell that stuff right so yeah it's a lot of work so I don't I don't generally cook Middle <laughs> Eastern it's like hours it's crazy and then they eat it and you start all over again yeah you know, it's so you have to spend so many hours in the kitchen. That's why it's hard to commercialize, probably too, right? So yeah, no. I think um, one of the biggest um, realizations, food-wise, admittedly, well into my middle age, was discovering at Ramadan. If you buy dates at Ramadan, boy, those are good dates. The things I used to eat at Christmas time in England when I was a kid, it's like desiccated. <laughs> Not even close. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. And especially if you're fasting, everything tastes so good, uh-huh. right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Man. But yeah, yeah. No. Do you have no. any parting words? Do you do you have any? Um, I don't do you know. think you'll go back? Do you think you'll go back and, and lecture when, when the children are, you know, things are more oh, stable yeah, for you? I'd love to help, you know medical students there help my country in any way I don't know that I would ever go back and live there mm-hmm. maybe maybe after I retire I'd go live in a resort or something like some really nice resorts but I can't go back to their traffic and 
Mm -hmm. The hustle and the bustle and the crowdedness, that's just kind of hard. I have, I'm sad, but I have never been to Egypt, but I have been to Turkey. And if your traffic is anything like Turkish traffic, I mean, it just... Oh. I don't understand the rules. Are there rules? No, no, it's a video <laughs> game and you're trying not to get shot, right? You're just like, boom, 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 but everybody boom, stops boom, boom. for the little old lady who decides to walk across the street. That's <laughs> yeah, the way you cross in Cairo, they say you just put yourself in front of the car and they'll stop. Mm-hmm. And that's true. You just, you gotta, you can't wait for them to stop for you. You gotta like step in on the road yeah. and. <laughs> With prayer walk. and walk <laughs> and don't even may, make eye contact just yeah. it's crazy but yeah it's it, it is and I can't believe that like some yeah some years ago I actually drove there because if you tell me to drive there again it's like there's no way that's crazy yeah yeah it's it's scary but yeah they make it happen they get to their destination, you know, That's same right. idea. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me. And yeah. so nice to talk. We'll talk again soon. Yeah. We probably yeah. won't record it, but we'll talk again soon. It's always fun. It's always <laughs> fun to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us at Myth Magic Medicine. If you have found this episode useful, you can apply for free CME credit through the link provided in the transcript. If you're not a medical professional, Please remember, while we're physicians, we're not your physicians. So please consult with your own healthcare professional if you think something you have heard might apply to you or a loved one. Until next time, bye-bye.